Hello, and welcome to Life on Maine, a daily podcast of Life on Maine in Charlestown, New Hampshire, where we discuss living life on the main purpose as designed by God. I am Pastor Tim Golden, and on these podcasts, we focus on growing in relationship with God, maturing in the faith through His Word, stewarding our relationships with one another, as well as learning to make disciples as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each day highlights one of these facets of spiritual character, growth, and stewardship, so be sure to come back each day to grow a strong and healthy walk with the Lord. Now, let's see what the Holy Spirit wants to show us today. I'm going to welcome to the stage a really, really good guy, (laughs) longtime friend, and pastor of our Life on Main campus right in Main Street in Charlestown, although we might have a little bit of an update this morning that you're going to bring to us, right? You got PT. It. <laughs> this guy, I don't know if you know this or not, but he married Jimmy and I 12 years ago. Okay, fine. Next Make month. me feel old. Not to age you or me, <laughs> but <laughs> would you bring us an encouraging word this morning? Thank you. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. Greetings from down at Life on Maine. Way down south, four miles. Okay. But uh, I want to share some things with you before we really get started today. Uh, how many remember we were here about three months ago now, I think? End of May, I think it was. We shared some interesting things with you. In fact, quiz time. Does anybody? No. I won't even ask you to raise, well, actually, I'll ask you to raise your hands. How many of you know the title of the sermon three months ago? I do. Strangely enough, it's one of the ones I remember. It'll always stick out in my mind. It's called When God Moves, or When God Says Move. And we were talking at that point about some things that, you know, about how we want to move when God says move and stay when he says stay, and how we were living that at that moment. Remember that? We were up for some very interesting days as we were moving forth in faith and in prayer and in prayer and in more prayer, (laughs) okay? But I come to you this morning to share with you, though you already know this, how good our God is. Because when when we choose to walk the way God wants us to walk, interesting thing happens. God's there. And God reveals himself in some pretty incredible ways. You know that we moved from meeting in a church building to meeting in our living room, where we are meeting to this day, which meets our needs, but that's about it. But praise God, he gave us a place. But let me share some things that happened because of a willingness, not of myself, but of an entire church to say, God, where you lead, we will go. And what you say, we'll do. And what happened just about a week and a half to two weeks After we were here, we'd gone out, we'd purchased some folding chairs at uh, Job Lots, because they were cheap. How many can identify with that remark, you know? And, uh, you know, because we needed a place to sit. We didn't have enough chairs at the house, so we went and got that about a week before I preached. Lesson, when God says, wait, wait. (laughs) Because what would happen just after we preached here that week Um, and and we publicly declared we're going to do what God wants us to do. 
What happened that very next week is somebody that attends our church happens to work somewhere in the area at a business, and they had went, gone up to him, or he had found out one way or another, that they had a bunch of chairs that they were wanting to get rid of, and they couldn't find anybody to take them. They had tried, and they couldn't find anybody to take these chairs. I should have brought one up for you to look at. But I'll explain to you. They are not these. How many know that last that week, too, I preached about how we're also known as the Old People's Church? That's not a bad thing, by the way. That just means we're a lot wiser. That's all that means. Okay, no. Um, unlike your chairs, ours have arms. Okay? So you can push yourself up when you need to. It's great. It's a blessing from God. Um, anyway, so we... Uh, he finds out from them, and he's like, yeah, we can't move these things. We can't give them away. And that's what we're looking to do is give them away. They blessed us, a church of 20 people with 125, 126 chairs, okay. padded, really nice, with arms. I mentioned they have arms. Okay. But here's the thing. I'd asked the woman who was instrumental when we went to pick these chairs up. It's like, so why are you getting rid of these? It's like, well, they're done depreciating. And they're in practically new condition, but they're 12 years old. Yeah, well, how much did you pay for these? I said, well, when we bought them, the place we bought them from, they were $220 a piece. Now, for those of you who don't do math well, we got those. We also got two office chairs, one 850 another uh, priced at about 350 We also got filing cabinets, enough for us and the school that meets here. A total of, I think it was 11 filing cabinets. We were blessed if we were to have gone out and bought that stuff with 30, over $30,000 worth of stuff. But now here's the interesting thing. We're a church of 20 people and we got 126 chairs. God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing? But can I actually expand that a little bit? Twelve hours later, we get a call from another church on the other side of the state. Um, by the way, could you use some church chairs like these? We got a hundred of those we want to give away. We now have access to over 220 chairs for 20 people. God, what are you doing? God, we're along for the ride. So, God, this is great. Thank you so much for your provision. Now, God, there's only one problem. We need walls. <laughs> walls would be really good. Let me share with you what's happening right now. In fact, we'll be taking place come September 19th. I think we have a photo for you. We actually have a new home. It is the Charlestown Senior Center. We are truly, we are truly the old people's church, okay? <laughs> We went, um, you notice there's a section that's kind of grayed out. That's actually a rental house. Everything that's not grayed out, we have access to. And can I tell you, for a third of the cost of what we were paying at St. Luke's. Okay? God is awesome. And can I tell you, this is better than St. Luke's. Because as my wife said, the bathrooms are in the same building. 
hey, you laugh. You guys are blessed like you don't understand until you have lived in a church or inhabited a church for six years where you have to walk across the parking lot if you have to use the restroom, okay? Bathrooms in the building is a gift from God, okay? <laughs> we also have room for children's ministry when God sees fit to bless us with some children, okay? So we're just excited to see what God's doing. There's more room here than we know what to do with. God, what are you doing? Pray with us. Believe with us. God is doing something mighty. We just don't have a clue what it is. We're just along for the ride. And how many know that's a good place to be? Just be with God along for the ride, and when he says, move, move, okay? If you'll turn with me, and we're going to talk a little bit about this in a little more in depth, but we're going to be looking this morning at a very popular passage out of Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 38. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Some of you may not even have to look this up. You could probably even quote these six verses or five verses pretty much by heart. It's a popular story of a family of sorts involving Mary and Martha. And Lazarus, we know, was there too, but for some reason or other, he's not mentioned in this specific account. But Luke chapter 10 says this, and I'm reading out of the New King James this morning. It says, Now it happened as they went, that meaning Jesus and the disciples, that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing's needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken from her. Lord, as we dive into this passage this morning, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, that it wouldn't be me up here speaking, Lord, but you'd speak into each and every individual, the very truths that you would have them glean this morning. So, Lord God, we don't just, can't just say we came to church, but Lord, we can say that you came and you met with us, and God, you changed something in us. So much, God, that we don't just leave here changed, but as we heard in prayer this morning, we actually go out and we live the change that you've brought. So have your way in this time. Have your way through everything that happens from here forth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Martha, Martha. They worry about many things. One thing's needed. Mary's chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. I want to share some things with you about this story. I specifically want to lay out for you what I believe we see as three measures of a believer in this passage. The first thing we need to understand, though, is what really is a believer. And understand what is required for us to be a believer. For us to be a believer doesn't take rocket science, does it? All it takes for us is to do what Martha did, simply welcome him. It tells us that Jesus had entered into a village, and somehow Jesus came to where Martha was. And Martha didn't do anything at first. 
other than welcome him into our home. You know, the incredible thing about the Christian faith is just that all we have to do is welcome him. We just have to welcome him in. We don't have to clean up the house first. Hallelujah. Right? Don't have to clean out the garage or the barn. You just got to welcome him. And what will he do? He'll come in. He'll come in every time. We don't have to somehow strive to achieve his approval. She didn't have to do it. You might remember another guy. His name was Zacchaeus. Right? Up in a sycamore tree. Tax collector guy, considered some of the worst of the worst in that society. And Jesus sees him up in the tree amongst all the people and said, Hey, Zach, come on down. We're going to go eat at your place. And they went, and transformation happened in his life. But what did Zacchaeus have to do? Just welcome him. Just bring him in. And that's all we need to do to be a believer in Christ. When we do, God does something miraculous. God does some incredible transformation that totally takes us from who we were into becoming a child of his. Before we clean up anything, before we get our vocabulary straight, before we get rid of all of our habits that are bad, God meets us where we are, and when we say, come on in, he comes. What a joy. That's what separates Christianity from every other religion out there. Every other religion, you have to do something to get there. With Jesus, all you got to do is welcome him. I'm so glad that he has such a low bar. You know? But I'm also happy about this. God loves you where you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay there. Aren't you glad about that too? He wants to transform us into what he created us and who he created us to be. And that's a little bit of what happens here. There's a little transformation, a little changing that begins to happen. So he comes in to the home as he is welcomed by Martha. And from there, it goes south. Right? It tells us in verse 39... The really the only thing he really says about Mary says, and she had a sister called Mary, and what set her apart? She sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Boop, that's it. However, Martha, it's her home. We don't know if she was a widow or what, but she it was her place. She was the housekeeper, and she took great joy in understanding that Jesus had come to her house. In fact, he took, she took such joy in that. What do we see? We see that she understands who he is. And that she didn't have to do anything to, to receive him other than just that, receive him. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 tell us this through the mouth of the Apostle Paul. He said, For grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The faith that she had, the faith itself, was even a gift from God. In James, however, chapter 2, verses 18 through 20 and verse 24, almost could seem like a contradiction. It tells us this, it says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. 
You believe that there is one God, you do well, but even the demons believe. Ouch. And they tremble. So it shows you belief isn't enough. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And then he gives an example of Abraham and then finishes off in verse 24 that you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Well, which is it? Am I saved only by faith so that therefore I can't boast in my works? Or am I saved somehow through the works? And the answer is yes. Okay? But don't, the key point here is don't get the cart before the horse. It's got to understand that your works mean absolutely zippo. Unless you've got faith in place. But if you've got faith in place, if it's really true faith, works will follow. You don't have to think about it necessarily. Though it's going to go against your flesh and God will perfect it in you. But there's something about the transforming work of God when it's real, when it's genuine, that it will make me want to do things to please God. For the same reason that if you love somebody, you want to please them. It's not like I love you, okay, now I guess I should do this for you. We don't, we don't talk like that, right? If you love them, you do. It just goes with the package, right? And if we really love God, if it's a really transforming faith, the works will follow. That's all he's saying. Your works won't save you, but if you've got real faith, works will be there. And if they're not, you might want to think about where your faith is at. Amen? Somebody say, ouch. <laughs> so in this passage, we have three main individuals at play. We've got Mary, we got Martha, and we got Jesus. And what I want to explain to you is this, is that these are actually show us three incredible perspectives and three different measures of what a true believer is. So first, we're going to look at Martha. Now, before we get hard on Martha, because every preacher always gets hard on Martha, right? Be like Mary, don't be like Martha, right? Poor Martha. Let's give her some credit here. One incredible thing I find in this passage is just the very first words out of her mouth. The very first word out of her mouth is what? Lord. Well, yeah, so what? Well, think about most other people. How did most other people, even his own disciples, refer to him more often than not? Rabbi. Teacher. Right? She refers to him as Lord. She understood who was at her door. And she had a, a level of reverence for him, knowing who he was and is. And because of that, that is what drove her. Mary's faith and understanding of Jesus drove her to serve. It made her want to put on the best bread that she possibly could. To make it the most inviting that could possibly be attained while he was there. And she served him well. In fact, she went over and above to try to serve him. And we see this specifically reflected in the words that she gave much 
care to what she did. However, there's a trap. And it's a trap that we all need to be aware of so that unlike Martha, we won't fall into it, or hopefully not as deep. So was there a problem in serving Jesus? No, not technically. But what was Martha's problem? It's what happened because of her level of service and how she defined her service. The first thing that we see that happens with Martha is this. She became distracted. She became preoccupied with serving and putting on this great spread, making everything just so that it distracted her from what was the most important thing. To the point that even though Mary was doing that most important thing, she couldn't see it. She couldn't see it. She was distracted. She was so caught up in the, in the here and the now that she lost sight of the bigger picture. And what too many times can happen in a believer's life is we have our first measures, we want to serve. It, yeah, we've received his love, but now let's serve him. Let's do it great. Let's do it wonderfully. Let's do it with excellence. And you know what? We should do that. But there's also a limit. Can we say that? Because the limit here is, to her, it became more about the serving than it was about the loving. It became more about what she was doing rather than who was actually under her roof. And that's when it becomes to be a problem. That's what she got distracted from. And doing a good thing. It wasn't sin she was involved in here. It was doing a good, it was doing a righteous thing. But somehow she let it take a wrong priority. And what happened then as a result of that distraction? As she got distracted, as she got caught up in that, we see that she became depressed to a level because she began to feel sorry for herself. So much that she feels God's not even, Jesus isn't even being fair right now. Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you? That's what she said. She began to feel so sorry for herself that she couldn't see past the nose on her own face. And when that happens, when we become inward focused, the natural outcome is the third thing that happened. She became critical of others. She became critical of her own sister, her own flesh and blood for not doing what she felt was her part in making her carry the load by herself. She became critical of her sister. We're a family of God, and sometimes this can happen in the church. Got distracted, got lost her focus, became inward focused, and then became critical of others. And not only others, but it even went to the nth degree because she became critical of the Lord himself. Did you catch it? Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you? Don't you see what's going on here, God? I, I'm not being treated right, and it's your fault. Ouch. When we allow 
ourselves to be so caught up in what we're doing for God that we forget about who we're doing it for, it can lead to the seventh degree. To the point that we just keep doing and doing and doing and doing and doing and doing and doing, and then eventually we begin to wear down because we're not going back to the source of our strength. We're not going back to Christ himself. We're doing for him, but we're not doing it with him. And so what happens is we begin to wear down, and when we wear down, we get down and depressed. And now all of a sudden, rather than take ownership, it becomes the blame game. If somebody would just step up to the plate and help me, that wouldn't be an issue, right? And then they don't. So now who am I going to blame? It usually goes to God. So what was the natural outcome of that? Not only that she became critical, now, remember who she started saying this was. Lord, what does that mean? And this is hard for us sometimes to understand in a democratic society. But to say somebody is Lord means there's a kingdom, means there's a king, and there's royalty. And my job as a member of that kingdom is to serve that one. And whatever they say goes. She started with Lord, but she ends the conversation. Lord, tell her to help me. Now, I wasn't in, uh, great in English, but I know enough to know that certainly sounds like somebody telling God what to do. Somebody else stepping into the aspect of, Lord, I'm going to lord over you for a moment. Because you're obviously blind to something, so I need to wake you up to help you see what you're missing. I mean, really, seriously, isn't that what's going on here? God, apparently, you missed this one. I'm in the kitchen. She's here. I'm working. She's not. What's the, do you see the problem here, Lord? And God, in case you're not, let me tell you how to fix it. Been there, done that. How about you? God, I got this problem. Now, God, here's what I need you to do to fix it. How about just leaving the problem at his feet and saying, now, God, you just fix it however you got to fix it. And maybe it's not fixing it, maybe it's fixing me. So whichever it is, God, you do what you need to do. It's kind of where we need to be. Tell her, come and help me. In her serving, she got her focus off Christ. And she began to look for validation she wanted Christ to come alongside and really thought that Jesus would meet her on her grounds. Woe is me. Look what's going on with me. So Jesus, tell her this. And Jesus, in his loving, caring, considerate way, is quick to point out, Martha, Mary ain't the one with the issue. You are. That's really what he was saying here. He's like, you want me to fix Martha, but, or fix Mary, but Martha, I need to tell you, you're the one that needs to be fixed here. See, Mary, here's what's going on. Or Martha, here's what's going on. 
you're troubled about many things. You worry too much. You're too involved with this thing. Okay, I, I appreciate that you want to put on a nice spread for me and you want to make this nice, but you don't have to roll out the red carpet here. You know what? You want to do like 20 things for me. One would have been sufficient. You're going through too much. And the many things that you're involved with are actually needless. You're like a hamster on a wheel, Martha. You're running to beat the band, but you ain't going anywhere. But this one thing is needed, Martha, and you're missing it. So Martha, let me point out to you what you're missing. We want to serve God. That's the first level. That should come naturally when we experience the changing work of Christ's blood in our lives. Is to want to please him. Is to want to serve him. That's the first level. But it is only the first level. There's a deeper level we want to go to. And that we see with Mary. And what does it tell us about Mary? Very simply, Mary sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now, notice the contrast right at the offset. Before we even see the whole story unfold of what Martha's going to say, we read something very important. Luke lays out for us that Mary is doing one thing, and then it follows it up with this word, but Martha, right? And then began to, begins to lay out this contrast that Mary's doing something, but there's something else going on here with somebody else. And we're going to contrast these things. And we see later the reason for this comparison. One was going to be commended, while the other one was going to be corrected. Jesus never told Martha to stop serving. Did you notice that? He never said, don't serve. But what you're saying is you're worrying. See, the issue goes deeper than your service. The issue is you've got anxiety. And if you've got anxiety over this, then you don't even know who I am. Allow me to be who I want to be in your life. And how does that happen? You've got to be a Mary. You've got to be a Mary that is willing to go and sit at his feet. Again, serve. Matthew 20, verses 26 to 28a says this, It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but what? To serve. So again, Jesus is not saying that what Martha was doing was wrong. Just she, got it out of, she just got it out of focus. One could say that Martha really got caught up in the religion and neglected the relationship. When we begin, because somehow, I mean, we know that when we come to Christ, there's nothing we could do to deserve it. That's why we call upon his mercy. That's why we say, God, come, forgive me of my sins. I can't do it. It's there. You've got to get rid of it. And, and we know that we don't have to do anything to come to him. But somehow, something shifts when we become a Christian. And we almost begin to think, now I've got to earn his approval. Understand this. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. You had his full approval. He just wanted you in the family. 
so that you could spend an eternity with him. And if he could love you there, I think he can love you here. How about you? So don't feel like you got to serve to earn his approval. You serve out of gratitude. There's a big difference. Because when you serve out of approval, that's when you tend to overserve. But when you serve understanding who loves you, it actually fuels you and gives you permission once in a while to simply sit at his feet. See, Mary got as close as she could get to Jesus other than sitting on his lap. Right? Tells us that she sat at his feet. It's a sign of being, you know, really wanting to hear everything. She didn't want to be distracted by anything. She just wanted to be totally honed in on him for that moment. Wanted to be honed in. And then what did it say she did? She listened to his words. She didn't just hear his words. See, Pharisees were really good at doing that, weren't they? They could take things that Jesus said and come back and try to corner them with them. There's a difference between hearing and listening. When it says she listened, it means she was actually taking in. She was really wanting to learn from him. And as she heard from him, it affected her lifestyle. That's what that, that word implies there. And what Jesus was trying to help Martha understand is this. If you could learn to be like Mary and learn to stay close to me and learn to simply listen, I mean really listen to the point that you'll let it change you and transform you, if you could do this, it would go much better for you, Mary. He's saying this one thing is needful. And she has chosen the good part. And that's what she, he means by the good part. It's that which is most beneficial for her. It is to her benefit. It's to her benefit because if she does so, if she learns to stay close to Jesus she, and really listen to him, she will be able to truly please God. And also avoid the pitfalls of the enemy that the enemy wants to throw you away, much like what he threw at Martha. If he would just learn, learn to stay close. And what is, if you had to sum up this aspect in one word, it would be this, worship. Worship. Worship is one of the most important parts of your life. And by worship, I don't mean just singing songs. We, and we had some great songs, awesome worship this morning. Thanks for being used of God. Um, and worship is an aspect. It's, a, it's an expression of worship. It is not worship. Worship comes when we choose to sit at the feet of Jesus. And we choose to receive from him. And we choose to communicate back to him. And there's this two-way relationship that's happening. And, and I'm revealing my entire self to him. And he's bringing all of him. There's where real worship takes place. And Mary was doing that. But can I tell you this? That's only the second level God wants to bring us to. It's a little bit deeper than just simply serving, isn't it? 
In fact, if we could learn to do that, you'll find you'll have more energy to serve. But the third measure is this. It's not found in Mary and it's not found in Martha. It's found where you'd expect it to be. It's found in Jesus. Now understand this. Jesus was a Martha. He was persistently ministering. He was persistently serving. Even in this home of Mary and Martha where he came, which is felt by many theologians to have been like one of the places where Jesus could really kind of kick his sandals off and just relax. Even when he was here, what was he doing? Ministering. He was serving. So Jesus was a Martha. He was constantly about serving. But can I also say that Jesus was a Mary first. We see many times throughout Scripture where Jesus goes alone with his Father to pray, even amongst the heat of ministry. There's even one time when he's got all these people gathered and... He looks at his disciples and says, okay, now I've got to go pray. They're like, well, what about all these people? What are we going to do with them? He's like, you figure it out. I've got to go be with Jesus. I've got to go be with the Father. He did not sacrifice relationship with the Father on the altar of ministry. And neither should we. The deepest measure of a believer, however, is not to be a Martha. It's not to be a Mary. It's to be a Jesus of sorts. We hear his heart in the prayer to the Father in John chapter 17, where he goes on and mentions a number of times how, Father, you are in me and I am in you. We are one, and I want them to be one as we are one, referring to the disciples, both present and future. And in John chapter 14, verses 7 through 11, he was being asked um, of his disciples regarding um, how we can know the Father. And he said this, said, If you've known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. And Philip speaks up and says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you've not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? And, that the, and now here's the key, what he's getting at by all of that. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. What Jesus was saying here is if this one key aspect of me being in the Father and Him being in me is me not doing my own thing. It's having a relationship with the Father that goes so deep and is so intimate that I know what the Father's heart is and my only desire is to please Him and to serve Him. Can I tell you this morning that the deepest meaning of a believer is not in how we serve, nor is it where we sit but it's whether we submit that is the key. 
See, the ultimate act for the believer is not just to do things for God. It is not even simply sitting in his presence and learning from him and understanding what he loves and what he hates and and wanting to try to model our lives somehow after that. It's being willing to say, Lord, you are Lord, and I will follow you and only you. And if you say anything that contradicts where I think I want to go, I'm going your way every time. And when we choose to do that, that is the deepest measure of a believer. Because what's going to happen if we live at that level? When we come encounter, and we encounter people that are in the world, who are they going to see? See, if all I'm doing is I'm serving and I'm doing things for God, who might get the pat on the back? Me. Or I could sit at Jesus' feet and, it, and I could just have this Jesus and me thing. But how's that going to do anything in ministering God's love to the world. As we talked about last Sunday, God loved the world. He didn't just love you. He wants to see the whole world get saved. So get the Jesus and me mentality gone if that's in your life. God loves you deeply, but he loves everyone and wants them all to be home with him. Your greatest depth of your surrender, of your love for God, is going to be your surrender to him. Because when you truly surrender and submit to him, any glory that tries to come to you is going to go back up. It's going to go where it belongs, to God himself. Now here's the great thing. When we are called to submit, we don't just simply submit to our own ways. We submit to God's ways. And in submitting to God's ways, his life is seen in and through us. So my question for you this morning is this. Where are you? How full would you be if you were a measuring cup and God poured into you? Would you be at the first level? Would it fill to the second or would it go all the way to the brim where all that's seen is Jesus? Our desire as believers is to adopt what Paul himself said He said this, and it's not, on the surface, it doesn't sound like a warm fuzzy, but you know what? To Paul, it was the greatest honor. And he said this, I am crucified with Christ. Yet it's no longer I that, yet I live, but yet it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ who lives in me. See, I don't live for myself anymore. Yeah, my body's still functioning. I'm still moving around and doing everything that I do. But my heart's desire, my heart's cry is that nobody ever sees me. My heart's desire is that all they ever see is Jesus. And yeah, I'm in the flesh. And there's times I do things I don't want to do. And I mess up, as he says in Romans chapter 7. But that doesn't negate the fact that my heart is still going to strive to live constantly for him. And never give another thought to my own life. We've got a situation right now that I'm sure we've all been watching the news. With Afghanistan. And right now there are Christians in fear of their lives. Because they know amongst the leadership that's there now, they could be beheaded today but you know something they don't turn their back on Jesus because they've got the real deal we know it could cost us our lives but we're still going to serve him with everything that we've got and you'll find that all over our world 
Christians in America, I'm afraid, we don't have that level many times. Many times I think we just fall into this realm of, I'll be a Christian as long as I can come in, I've got a nice padded seat to sit in, and there's air conditioning in the building. But the minute it starts getting a little uncomfortable, well, maybe I'll just worship at home and just keep it to me and Jesus. If anything, if we're truly being crucified with Christ, when the hard times come, and folks, I hope I'm wrong, but history tells me I'm not. I think there's coming a day when you're going to find in this own country it's going to require something. It's going to require some major sacrifices of us too. question is, when that comes, who are they going to see? Are you simply serving God? And to the point that it gets uncomfortable, you're going to start blaming God? Or are you going to be so close to his feet that you want to submit to his ways so that no matter what comes, you know it's better. Paul, in his last book, knowing that he was about to be beheaded, knowing he was about to lose his life for the sake of Christ, said this, I have fought the good fight. I have run the race and I've kept the faith. And that should be the cry of every one of us. It was not a time of defeat for him that he was going to lose his life for Christ. For him, it was victory. And it needs to be that with us. When the hard times come, do we see it as a means for victory? or means for defeat. It all comes down to whether we choose to simply serve, sit, or submit. Lord God, we ask that you would come. And Lord, I don't know where each and every one of us are. I know the areas in my life that you spoke, Lord, even as I was writing this, on all three of these levels. Seems like in certain ways I've been at all three. But Lord God, I pray that wherever each person finds themselves at, Lord, that you would as you did with Martha so lovingly and calling out her name, Martha, Martha. Lord, you'd speak our name and Lord, bring that gentle leading of how we can learn to submit more to your ways and to your leadership. So that Lord, the times that we find ourselves serving or the times we find ourselves sitting, it doesn't matter because all we know is that wherever we are doing whatever we're doing, we're in your presence and we're in the center of your will. Bring us to that place, Lord, each and every one of us. And we give you praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to thank you for tuning into today's broadcast. We pray that it was beneficial for you. Be sure to tune in tomorrow for another episode of Life on Main. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website at lifeonmain.org. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash lifeonmain where you can learn about upcoming events and find links to videos of these broadcasts and sermons. You can also view our sermons on our YouTube channel at bit.ly slash lifeonmain with each of those words capitalized. Thanks for listening to Life on Main and may God bless you.